Someone once told me that no one says life is fair. When you hear that when you're young, you have no idea what it really means. Once you've lived a little, and then you lose everything, suddenly it makes sense. This podcast is a true life memoir of someone who lost everything and is rebuilding in search of who they once were. They're sharing their story as part of their healing process and so that anyone else out there living through similar circumstance knows that they're not alone. Hey guys, Dave the Clone here with another journal entry. I think this is number eight. Um, always starting off with reminding you that you're not alone. You have strength within you you don't realize you have. Mornings are hard. And as always, that's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-S. And, uh, there's nothing odd about the displacement, the dissociation of displacement, the dissociation of feeling like you have no place. That there's a sanctuary in going no contact with the person who hurt you, especially if they're a narcissist. But setbacks will happen, and setbacks are not reasons to stop. And that while you're recovering, it's not such a bad idea to stop and reflect on recovery. Today I'm in a sort of a weird place. Um, I don't know if this would count as a continued reflection on on recovery or... I guess it's the beginning of a concept that I was thinking when I decided to do this project you know a big part of what recovery is is rediscovering who you are so rediscovery is recovery if I had to set for myself an end goal of what I hope to accomplish by doing this work it's to rediscover and feel safe and comfortable and confident in who I who I now am but who I always really was. And, you know, again, for anyone who hasn't been through this experience, and it can happen on so many levels, it doesn't just have to be in a romantic relationship. It can be on a professional level. It can be on an interpersonal level between friends. It can be on an interpersonal level between family members. But the whole thing is this, and I think is sort of maybe reflected in some of the more controversial things happening in the group identity politics stage that the world is witnessing right now there are a lot of preconceived notions there's a lot of programming that has been happening to us for a long time i mean i've been around for 4.3 decades now and while i wouldn't have considered it programming me Um, realizing that a lot of the sort of principles I identified with and held 
to myself as standards for things like being in a relationship really came from a sense of um, learning from the stories that were told in movies and on TV and read in books. And I mean, I know that there's always been <clears throat> a phenomenon called like, you know, the, the knight in shiny armor or the, the white knight. <laughs> Usually this was something aimed more at women who were in some kind of a therapy program or dealing with relationship issues. But the idea that, you know, um, and I only know this because of a relationship I was in right after college and it was it's always funny too another thing that comes from all this programming is it's very easy to see these things in other people and that does give you this sort of false sense of overconfidence maybe even superiority and again i am not a medical professional i'm not a trained therapist i'm not a, a licensed clinical social worker i'm not a doctor uh, I did study psychology a little bit in college, but I'm just a person who has been through some shit. And instead of staying in bed and crying about it, which I did do, there's a fair amount of that that still happens from time to time. But I just started reading and doing more research and trying to really... You know, they say you're supposed to put your baggage down, right? One of the things I mentioned, landmark training, which I do suggest everybody, if you have the means to do it, it's not cheap, but it's definitely valuable because it's maybe what started me on this level of introspection, which may not be what they want to hear because their, their whole deal is that you put the baggage down and you move forward because you can't live clean, you can't attain your true potential you can't move forward in the way you're supposed to if you're still carrying the baggage now a lot of this is about the baggage that operates our life and oftentimes it's tied to something that happened to us very young so what happens is you go your whole life growing but still mentally remembering the feelings of a toddler or an eight-year-old or something like that and so a lot of your Intake a lot of the way that you view things that come up and challenges are still through the lens of that hurt, disappointed eight year old who is trying to get daddy to love them more, get mommy to love them more, be noticed, not feel like they're stupid, um, whatever the case may be. Now, this can only obviously cover so much if we're talking about things like being abused or traumatized, sexually abused, those kind of things, it's a, it's a little bit more of a therapy required. You can't just put that baggage down. I swear, it's always when I come out here to do stuff like this, these kids are, maybe that's what's supposed to be reminding me of this whole <laughs> looking at life through the, the lens of a child. Um, and, and you do this seminar, this Landmark seminar, they're not sponsoring me, but maybe they will. Maybe I can get somebody from Landmark on here one day to talk about some of this stuff. But, you know, the idea is that you are never really getting to where you want to be. You're not going to realize your full potential because you're still in a lot of ways that eight-year-old, but you're now a 30-year-old trying to f trying to go back in time, basically. You're trying to make right something that went wrong before now and when it comes to these interpersonal situations later in life where there are 
you know, mental illness, personality disorders, things that have developed over that time of not putting the baggage down and not living your true self. It can be almost like doubling down, right? And so it's an important skill to learn to be able to put the baggage down. But for me, one of the things looking for where the baggage came from has uh, unlocked for me is a very analytical, which, you know, a very analytical approach to why things happened the way they did. And all this is always... In, in the first sense of it, a survival sense to make sure it doesn't happen again. And in some ways might not be 100% adhering to the lesson I was supposed to get from that training. But life is complex, especially because it, it's not just you. You're not the only one on the playing field. There are all these other players on the playing field and we all connect to each other when we come in contact with each other, especially if we get in... Dude, you can be batter up every five seconds over there, kid. Really, seriously, batter up, batter up. Although maybe I should be listening to this. Maybe there's the universe is adding this background today for a reason. I do have a sort of approach to life that ascribes a certain level of control to whatever's running the matrix, even though I think perhaps... Whoever set the matrix in motion, maybe they're mentally challenged or personality disorder riddled little brother is off their meds and has taken over the console. And that's why life seems like it's going way, way out of control, way off the deep end for so many and for so many at the same time. And in fact, some people I think are group identifying with certain aspects of it, which is just making it even more complex and difficult to navigate and try to solve. And this is why I do think there's a pretty serious level of importance that should be more adhered to or acknowledged in each of us taking responsibility for ourselves. And um, it's difficult. I know that's, that's one of the things that people don't have an easy time with. Hell, they're still trying to solve problems in their 30s and 40s from the perspective of a hurt 8-year-old, right? And yes, there are things that happen to us. There are things that happen in relationships that we wish didn't happen. If you've been listening to the podcast at all at this point, I'm sure you're well aware of a lot of the things that happened to me. But I want to be clear that as much as I am about making sure I know the details of the story and placing responsibility where it's due, I never claimed to not be responsible for the fact that I chose to be in the relationships. I made my decisions, whether they were the right ones or the wrong ones. Now, that carries an awful heavy weight with it if you let it, and I am struggling with that particular aspect of things. Actually, I'm recording this the day after going to my first therapy session for their, you know, first one in over a year. And even those last few were maybe five years since I had been seeing my other therapist. I, I, you know, I was seeing a therapist from my early twenties through my mid to late thirties. 
And any therapists out there listening, I'm sure there's a little bit of a split in the jury on whether that in and of itself was good or a proper approach. I know my youngest sister, who did have some medical training because she's a speech pathologist, um, when I told her I had been seeing the same therapist for over a decade, she said, that's not normal and that's not a good thing. When you're in therapy, you're supposed to be working on issues and problems and you're supposed to be developing a treatment plan. You're supposed to be working on coping mechanisms and techniques and helping yourself evolve. It's not just supposed to be a security blanket or a reality check. I mean, and that's sort of def. I, there's definitely a part of me that was looking at it that way, that it was a security blanket, it was a reality check, and it was someone that legally isn't allowed to tell anybody else any of the things I said, unless I indicate I was going to hurt myself or somebody else. And just to dispel any of the rumors now, because it's not like I'm any stranger to crying on this show, and it's not like I'm any stranger to of being in very dark places, I... Even if I... I once remarked to a friend in a dark time that I understand why people kill themselves, why people delete themselves, why people... Whatever I have to be able to say on this, because now we're in a time where you can't be telling the full truth without censoring it a little bit. Otherwise, you get demonetized or the algorithm kicks you out. But for me, self-cancellation, self-deletion is never on the table no matter how hard it gets. Now, you, you know, put me on the streets for a few years living in a cardboard box, maybe I would revisit that opinion, but I start from the place where I'm already pissed off that the show has to come to an end at some time. Granted, obviously the show was going on before I got here. You know, I'm only 4.3 decades into this and it's been around for hundreds and thousands and millions of years, but I'm furious that at some point the show is going to go on without me. Now, maybe that points to a bit of narcissism on my point, on my, on my person and my personality, but it's more from a curiosity perspective, you know? I mean, when I was little, we didn't have the internet. Who knew we would get to a point where there would be the vast collection of all human knowledge available at our fingertips... With a few paywalls that you could probably figure your way around. You can you can pretty much find anything you want on the internet. Good and bad. I think the excitement over the good maybe blinded us to the possibility of how much bad, but still. So if that happened in the few decades I've been around, we're probably not far off from the flying cars. I want to be here when we're doing interstellar travel, man. I want to see other planets, if they exist. I want to make sure the world's not flat. You know? There are very compelling arguments on both sides of that that both use science. You know? And unfortunately, there's only a handful of us who've left the planet who can say, look, I've turned around, I've looked at it, it's a ball. You know? I think the way things have gotten so convoluted over the last two decades for sure... It wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility that if all of us got to leave the planet for whatever reason, whatever level of status or, um, what do they call that? Privilege. <laughs> but you turn around and look out the window and you're like, oh no, it is a big flat disc. Holy shit. You know, I mean, I would not be surprised. I'm exactly 50-50. Now I have a brother-in-law 
who works on satellites. And that's all I'm allowed to know about what he does. He does work for the government, which is, I think, ironic, given my openness to conspiracy theories. And he laughs at me whenever I say things like that, because all of the math and all of the engineering and the science that allows for what he does as a living to work and exist points to a round earth and you know I mean it's one of those things like that you could point to as the programming right I mean we all have globes in our schools growing up we're all told the earth is round and that it was those ignorant people from hundreds and hundreds of years ago in the past that used to think it was flat but according to conspiracy theory logic isn't that just so that none of us would question it so that it would become such a known Fact that if anyone ever said, hey, what if the world was flat, we would just laugh at them. And it's that kind of dynamic that also will then come to apply to these relationship situations. And that may be why I keep some of that, you know, possible curiosity alive. Because, you know, until I was in a relationship that was as dysfunctional as my last one, where someone was literally being a different person than they were when I met them and trying to make me feel like I was the crazy one for noticing, not that they were the one who needed help or that their need for help outweighed my level of hurt, frustration, betrayal, any number of things. I mean, there are plenty of people who just say, oh, my ex is crazy, right? And again, my apologies to anybody triggered by my use of that word. But for the sake of speaking in modern parlance that haven't completely moved on to extinction yet, please take it as a figure of speech and not an indictment. (laughs) Recording this on the day of a significant amount of indictments in the news. You know, everybody hears about the crazy ex, and then especially if somebody's had more than one crazy ex, there's this tendency to point and say, well, what's the common denominator in that situation? You, maybe you're the crazy one. It's very dismissive, especially if it's coming from somebody who's never experienced it themselves. So I think one part of rediscovering who you are is realizing that your experiences are yours, Your life is yours. What you go through is yours. You own it. Irregardless, not irregardless, regardless of what others might want to tell you you are. Now, this doesn't mean discard feedback. Hell, I'm going to a therapist because I am in need of assistance in learning how to cope with this new era of of my life. I mean... No, 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 you gotta go, that's too loud (laughs) Sorry universe, that one was too loud That bird was too loud You know, when you look back There are different phases, different periods of our life What's going on here? Really? What are you doing? No Get out of here Go You know, especially I recently reconnected with one of my uncles who I haven't seen in over half a decade. 
And the first thing that always happens with this particular uncle is a rehashing of the last things we remember, you know? And I think for him, he pretty much still sees myself and my younger sisters as children rather than adults. And so a lot of the memories are from a long time ago. But uh, in particular, we were talking about my father, who is no longer with us. And from him, I got sort of a new perspective on what happened between him and my mom. Like, uh, what some of the things that were going on that maybe I was too young to be aware of at the time or to understand at the time. And it, it gave me a, a level of appreciation for the good that was in my father. There was a lot of bad, and, and both from therapy I've been in before and from conversations I've had with my mom, I think if my dad ever went to therapy, he would have been diagnosed as having a narcissistic personality disorder. And it's very possible that because I was raised partially by a narcissist for the first 15 years of my life before he moved out when my parents... My parents separated my freshman year of high school. They weren't legally fully divorced until my sophomore year of college. And then everything after that was sort of this hybrid where, you know, most of our time was spent with my mom. And it could be why I find myself attracted to or gravitating towards what I used to call people with problems. Now, one of the things my therapist that I was seeing for over a decade and I identified about me is that there's certainly a level of savior complex going on where even though my life wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be ever up until now, even now, and especially now, now it's a struggle. Now this is like, hey, you know, when you were younger, you might have had more resilience to this. But at 43, it's very difficult to be pushing forward through so much while also feeling your body start to show its age and wear and tear. I'm definitely still overweight from the pandemic. That's a challenge. It's something I definitely have to start focusing on more because... Uh, for the last month, <laughs> working on this show, working on my video production company, t getting new clients, working on projects, I've been fighting an illness for like almost a month. Uh, both, I had another COVID test today at the doctor's office, which is something I haven't been able to really go to for the last couple of years because I quit my corporate job back in January of 2020. And with it went my benefits. And it was a couple years. This is in the relying on my ex phase, a phase I regret to no end, but at this point can just point to as a point of reference. I'm not, again, doing this to lay blame. I'm doing this as a journey of recovering myself and keeping a diary of the things I'm thinking. And even then, though, I remember saying, well, what happens if I get sick? And she said, oh, well, you know, we'll figure something out. You know, I'll call and say it's me with your, with your symptoms, and I'll try to do a virtual visit, and we'll get a prescription for you. You know, living in a fantasy world a little bit. Luckily, there are things now. There are new approaches to the world with the good. With the bad comes the good with the Internet. As far as the, there's an app for that world goes, I use a thing called Mira. 
Mira.com or Mira.app. No, they don't sponsor the show either, but maybe they will one day. And it's basically... Uh, it's a version of healthcare that you can get for less than $1,000 a year. And it sets you up with a flat rate for doctor visits and co-pays for uh, prescriptions. So it's as close to having an insurance plan as you can have. The only thing it doesn't cover is hospitalization, uh, you know, catastrophic coverage. And from what I understand, there are plans out there that are sort of single a la carte use plans that would cover if you needed something like that. And what Miro will do is if you need something like that, like if you're in an accident or you go to a doctor and they're like, holy shit, we got to get you to a hospital, otherwise you're going to die. They will work with you to set up one of these catastrophic plans. So there are things out there, like I'm always saying, there are resources out there that we don't realize. Maybe you just haven't ever had anybody tell you about it, or maybe you see it in a Facebook ad and you think it's, and you, you get a little skeptical about it. And then you have to hear someone like me going, oh my God, it's the only reason I'm able to go to the doctor now. And I may not have used it as much as I should have in the last couple of years. Um, because I think it's like a hundred bucks every time you go to a visit, but you can get anything. You get labs done, you get blood work done, STD testing, uh, and they even have you go into the app and in the menu. It's like, what kind of blood work do you need? What what testing do you need? And they will find uh, practitioners and labs in your area that work with them. And that's how I'm uh, doing my mental health now. Mental health I find to be very affordable. Um, unless you're going for psychiatry and then it's a little bit of, it's like a couple hundred bucks up front. And then that would be the same as any other doctor visit, which is in the hundred dollars a visit range. And then they can prescribe you psychoactive medication. I'm just doing virtual talk therapy, which is only 25 bucks a session. So that, there's that. But if you go every week or every other week, you're looking at a hundred bucks a month right there. Right. So, you know, you do what works for you. Wow, they should sponsor me after that. If we have enough listeners, they better be ready to to get the ball rolling here. In any case, um, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> oh, your body, your age, wear and tear. You know, I think as a younger person, you might have been able to couch surf a lot easier with a more resilient uh immune system but right now one of my roommates refuses to face the fact that he came back from a convention sick as a dog and is walking around the house coughing and sneezing everywhere and meanwhile I who've been fighting something for a couple weeks that then turned into an ear infection after doing a job in New York for a day went that that was what really pushed it you know this isn't something I'm going to be able to just drink fluids and take you know Dayquil and get over on my own without professional help. So I was like, all right, let me get on Mira. Let me get an appointment scheduled. And yep, hey, you've got an ear infection. Let's get you some antibiotics. And that was another thing my father used to not do. He used to not go to doctors. So I always felt like there was a certain amount of maturity over him that I had where if I was sick I would go to a doctor now when I had regular benefits and going to the doctor was only 20 bucks I would just go with the drop of a hat at one point there was a doctor I was seeing in my mid-20s 
who I had gone to so many times within a couple months and had blood work done more than once that he flat out told me, dude, you're, you're operating as a hypochondriac right now. I do not want to see you or even hear from you unless you've got a fever that doesn't go away for a couple days and you're dropping body weight because at this point we can't even justify to the insurance company how much blood work we're doing on you, you know? So... It's a scary thing. It's one of the things that I think a lot of people in general are just afraid of. We're always afraid to find out from the unknown that there's something going on that's beyond your direct control, right? And I think that is one of the steps that can be taken in this not only owning full ownership of your own life, but rediscovering who you are, discovering who you have the potential to be. And that's a baby step, facing the music. When you're sick, you deal with it. Whatever it is, because it's no one else is going to do it for you. Now, I may have to yell at my roommate because him walking around with no regard and then sharing facilities and a living space with two other people and basically threatening their health isn't cool. And there again is an area that I'm finding I have a little bit of a challenge, you know, setting the boundary, being able to be direct and harsh. And anytime I've done it, it has been pushed back against in a way that I can tell that now, all right, now I'm going to be uncomfortable with the tension that this creates. So I have a a tendency to back off. And I think that is a holdover from the walking on eggshells phenomenon that comes from being with a narcissist where you can't address anything with them that is on that is on their side of the table as far as responsibility goes they get very defensive and they lash out or they push back and being that I was relying on this person that I was no I mean I don't say that in a way that like I did that to myself on purpose or that that was what I was looking for this was what I thought was going to be my last relationship I thought this was the one and we had made a plan this was all a discussion this wasn't on a whim this was discussed a lot before it was enacted and then I was the only one she even admitted this to me within the first year you're the only one following the plan and I apologize but that apology after it was said wasn't really honored because then there was still no assisting me in trying to teach me how to expand my business how to run a business I'm having to learn that in a trial by fire every single day right now um In fact, I just did a a weekend business challenge with a company called Fullstack to learn how to do affiliate marketing on the internet. Now, there are things that they taught me in a weekend that I've been trying to look up on YouTube for tutorials to do and learn on my own that made the light bulb go off, that really made me think, oh my God, it does make sense. Now, all these things have nominal costs, you know, getting a funnel builder, click funnels, getting an, uh, an autoresponder, you know, hosting a website. These things are not free. They're not cheap. But they don't have to be crazy expensive either. And the idea is if you're making money with them, that money is then going to be paying those expenses. But you have to do the work. Now again, this is an area people don't like to walk into. You see a lot of these ads from gurus on the Internet. And I'm not going to say the company that I went with 
isn't being run by one of those. I'm sorry, Kiala. You do come off a little guru-ish at times, but you're also very passionate and inspiring, and it's what's making me think about this so much. Um, there are other people who come off as inspiring at first, then you realize they're just waiting to upsell you. But the most important thing is feeling the power of doing. And I, I keep coming back to that in both this show and in my life is that when we're sitting around being depressed, feeling the feelings, I mean, you do have to feel it to heal it, but there has to come a time where you felt it and now you can start to walk forward again because it's the laying in bed in the morning deciding if you're going to get up where the depressive self-doubt thoughts take root and there are people who don't get out of bed. And then the next day is even worse, and the next day is even worse, and it's darker and darker and darker until you're just living in the darkness. You ever see that movie, The Descent? Those creatures living underground for so long that their skin is, like, all pale, and they can't see light. Their eyes are too sensitive to light. They all eat whatever <laughs> people that wind up down there. I mean, that's the, these are the things I have to keep in mind for myself. As a dude, you don't want to become one of them. And there is a certain sense, too, of knowing you'll never get the kind of closure that feels like it is giving you permission to fully move on, especially when you had to go no contact, especially when you had to walk away, force yourself to walk away after being thrown away and not fall for any of the sort of hoovering, which is another, these are terms, I don't know if anybody's done the research into the world of relationships with narcissists, but hoovering is something they do where they, like a vacuum cleaner, try to suck you back in. I mean, mine sent me an email that said, be out by a certain date or I'll have the police remove you. Then as I was packing to move and moving big ticket items like my TV to go take to storage, she actually came and approached me and said, I didn't think you would actually leave. I said, well, that's a pretty significant threat you made, and how do I know that you're not going to pull that card every time you get a little upset from now on? This is now an unsafe environment for me, but it, it was my home. I said these things knowing that I was walking into a version of homelessness. And I felt like even that, as much as I felt the love in, and loss in her saying, I never thought you would leave. I, at the same time, had to see it as a double-edged sword because you're the one who told me to leave. And made it a serious threat and informed my family. Hey, I asked him to move out. How are you supposed to recover from that? And how do I know that this is true? That you really didn't want me to leave. What, do I, what am I supposed to believe? So in rediscovering myself, I'm someone who has to take people at face value. And trust my instincts about what I feel about what they're saying and doing. And if someone shows you that your environment is no longer safe to be trusted, you have to find a safe and trustworthy environment. That's a key of survival. But I still hurt about a lot of there's still so much. I wish I could have stayed at times. I wish there was a way to undo the kind of damage that comes with throwing the grenades that were thrown at me 
and at my family. I mean, she lashed out at my family. How are we ever supposed to have a family holiday after that? We all have to go to group therapy now, you know? I mean, it's not fair. It's not right. It shouldn't have happened. And I know when I get sick, it triggers the depressive side of these feelings and these recollections. And that's something that I have to, one, get in better shape so that my immune system is stronger so I don't get sick as often so that I can work more so that I can earn more so I can get my own place and not have to worry about sharing it with people and again I I try to say that with a certain amount of love I don't think they have malice I, I, I appreciate them for taking me in and being as flexible as they are you know they let me get them the money for the utilities when I have it as opposed to the day comes in so and it's the same one the same one who walks around coughing all over the place is also footing the bill up front you know there's certain there's something about that level of character that can't go unmentioned deserves recognition but when it's not the level or standard of living that you are used to or know that you are capable of when you have the resources at hand and also just as a sense of being a grown-up, a mature person expect not only from yourself but from those you interact with it's a difficult one to give a pass on I don't want to become OCD So rediscovering through recovery or recovery through rediscovery is not something to be taken lightly and is not something you can half-ass. And by the same token, though, I've been seeing there was a meme I saw unattributed, but it said... I asked the doctor once if I was just lazy, and they said, you're not lazy. It's just that you only have a certain amount of energy for each day, and you're spending an awful lot of it in survival mode, which requires you to recharge more often than other people. Leaves you less to operate on. And that really hit home because that's how I feel. I feel like a lot of that energy, a good chunk has to be spent in the morning getting yourself out of bed because I I do wake up wrestling the demons. And a lot of memories are flooding. A lot of these dreams since I'm now, I don't even know. Let's see if last Monday was 100. Friday would have been 104, right? Monday 100 Yeah, we gotta be at like 115, 115 days Weed free After smoking all day Every day for nearly 20 years The dreams I have Are so vivid Right now And very elaborate Like last night In the midst of this crazy like, So I had an ear infection last week I was on antibiotics for it The antibiotics 
were finished on Friday. Saturday and Sunday, I felt fine. Yesterday was Monday. And for the first half of the day, I was fine. But sitting at my computer and working, all of a sudden, this extreme sinus pressure pain. Like, I felt like the thing was trying to rip my head apart from within. The thing, John Carpenter's the thing. And, um... Nothing was stopping it. I was taking Advil, cold and silent, si- cold and sinus. I was taking extra ibuprofen. Um, nothing worked. Uh, the only thing that stopped the pain eventually, because then it moved down into the actual sinus, like the left side of my nose, and it was like like my eye was tearing. It felt like something was trying to explode out of me. It felt like someone out there's got a voodoo doll of me, and they jabbed a needle into the bridge of my nose, right in between the bridge of my nose and the corner of my left eye, and just left it there as like a ha-ha-ha, go fuck yourself, Dave. And I was, like, writhing on, on my bed, like, trying to find a spot that I could lay in where my head wouldn't hurt. And the only thing that got to stop was a cold compress. That was horrifying. So, of course, I get on Mira, and I make another appointment, and I go back to the doctor today, and I got some pretty strong antihistamines, decongestant. He gave me another antibiotic because the ear infection isn't completely gone. Maybe it was resistant to the first antibiotic. He also gave me a steroid, and he said, you know, in the next two days you should be feeling a lot better. But it was... Oh, it was horrific. <laughs> it was horrific. And when you finally fall asleep in that state, the dream world is elaborate. So I wound up... What I can remember of the dream where I pick up memory-wise was I'm sitting in a chair, sort of like a chaise lounge. I've got a blanket on me. And I'm in like a great, almost like, like the hall of a medieval throne room. And there's like a, a festival happening, level, that many people. There's lots of people, a feast is going on, they're enjoying it, but then people are keep coming up, and they're not talking to me, they're talking to the person who's sitting to my left. So I must be sitting next to whatever the sort of ruling king-type figure is. And when I turn to my left, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's directing this whole thing as like part of a movie. And suddenly, as I see him and recognize his face, I remember a time within this universe that happened shortly before this where I was in an office with someone else who I didn't recognize. And Bruce Willis comes in, and he's got envelopes of cash that he's handing out to us. And and he goes behind the desk, and he's moving paperwork around, and I see a plastic bag with one of the envelopes in it, and I can see that it's cash, and I go, is one of those for me? He goes, oh, yeah, you noticed that, huh? And he throws me some money, and then the next thing I know, I'm on this set with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I was first there with Bruce. Bruce was who brought me to this set, and we're watching this actor, and he's got this glowing ball with all kinds of lightning happening, kind of like those things you'd see at the Sharper Image, and he's pantomiming around it, and I was like... Yeah, that really works. And Bruce is like, yeah, I get that too. And then he disappeared. And the next thing I know, it's this medieval festival and Schwarzenegger. And he just seemed like he was like we were buddies almost, right? And the next thing I know, who walks onto the set but somebody dressed like He-Man. So, okay, we're making a He-Man movie. Schwarzenegger is directing. 
And in my mind, in the dream, I go, yeah, I think I remember reading something about this on the internet. Oh my God, I'm on set with Schwarzenegger making, and, but it was the kind of thing is like, we weren't leaving. Like we slept there. Like I fell asleep in that chaise lounge and we woke up and just started filming again the next morning. Only at some point while I was asleep, Schwarzenegger left and his AD took over. And then I woke up and then I couldn't get back to sleep to get back into that dream. Cause that was a dream. I would have been like, I, I could stay here for you know, like inception. Put me, put me in here for like 20 minutes out in the real world and like 10 years in the dream world. But anyway, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what does that dream mean? You know, my ex wasn't in there no one I recognized who wasn't a celebrity was in there. Maybe it's the, the calling within myself to try and give LA another chance because that's where I really belong. But there's been a part of me that has been really set back from getting that text from my ex and the brief exchange that we had that I, in talking to my therapist yesterday, I was, I was really disappointed in myself because I know enough now to know better than to have done that, but I still did it anyway. So in this rediscovery through recovery, it's important to keep in mind also that we're human. And that there are going to be things that are at the whim of our human feelings. I don't think there's a magic bullet. I don't think there's ever a day you're going to say, all right, I'm fully recovered. I fully get it now. I'm fully... Now there are people out there who say that there are those times. There are these guys you see on Instagram who are like, every second of every day has to be focused on achieving your goal. And if you're not doing that, that's why you're not successful. Okay, man. I have a feeling there's a way for others, others of us to be successful and to get to that level of confidence without having to be robotic about it, especially if you're recovering from trauma. And no one can tell you how long your recovery should take. No one, should, no one can tell you you should have been recovered by now, and that's a problem I have. I beat myself up about things a lot. So if that's one thing I could say that if I were a professional and would encourage people to do is to try to not beat yourself up. I mean, hold yourself responsible, but just understand that you made the choices you made. You know, in one of the exercises they do in Landmark, when they try to get you to realize that some decisions you make just because you make them, there is no strategy or psychology to it. They hold out, I've got in one hand a vanilla ice cream cone and another hand and the other hand I have a chocolate ice cream cone choose and you choose and they say why did you choose that and if you start going into some kind of elaborate oh well I've always liked chocolate I'm a chocoholic my dad got me into chocolate no 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 no. let's do this again in this hand I have a vanilla ice cream cone in this hand I have a chocolate ice cream cone choose the answer is you chose because you chose so when someone says, how could you choose to be with somebody like that? Oh, uh, you could go into the whole, oh, well, they presented themselves as another person. I thought it was the one. Da, da, da. No, I chose because I chose. The voice, the light in my soul chose. You could overthink it to death. We could find reasons, and I'm sure there's a certain amount of value in that. But at the end of the day, it's not something to convict yourself over. Now, I have the feelings of certain amounts of remorse because I exposed my family to her. And when she broke up with me, it was ugly for them, too. 
And that's something I wish hadn't happened. But I'm also the kind of person that doesn't want to hide the person I'm with from my family. I I sort of tried that when I was with um, this other woman after I moved back to New Jersey. After I'd been blocked and cut off and went no contact with my ex, the loneliness was setting in. And when I still thought I was moving to L.A., so I thought, let me jump on the dating site. But once that started to become a little bit more serious, I was still very... I don't want to introduce you to my family because I'm afraid of what they're going to think, that it's too soon, it's too early for me to care about somebody like this. It's not what I should be focusing my energy on. And then what wound up really ending that was the time I finally decided, okay, listen, I'm going down to my sister's in Virginia for the weekend. I'd like you to come with me. I'd like to introduce you to my family. And at first that seemed like it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden the night before we're supposed to leave is the night suddenly her dog tears his Achilles tendon. And it was sort of like, really? And now being broken and unhealthy, my immediate first thought was, look at this bullshit. Excuses, excuses. Another person pretending and then, then their true colors come out. But despite feeling that way, I was really hurt and sort of heartbroken but when I did get down to my sister's in Virginia, the, the sort of vibe in the air was, you know, it's for the better, man. You weren't ready, and we were, we were perfectly willing to let you bring someone here, but we didn't think it was a good time for you to be bringing somebody new into the, into the fold either. And now it's not just like introducing them to like my sister and her husband, my mom and my stepdad. There are kids, you know, my nephews and my niece when I introduced them to my previous ex, the one I lived with in Virginia, I used the word aunt. Here, meet your aunt so-and-so. That's how serious I was. That's how much I thought. And so when that ended, you really start to see this whole dynamic differently when you have to explain to children why it happened. And you can't necessarily fill in all the gaps and give them all the reasons because they're too young to understand. It's a long road, and you shouldn't feel badly about that. Your road takes you as long as your road takes you. You chose chocolate over vanilla because you chose chocolate over vanilla. But try not to beat yourself up about it, and try not to convict yourself of things that you're not guilty of. It's life. But the only way to live the best one is to do this work and to recover, to rediscover yourself. I don't have the confidence I know I once did. And I'm sure it's holding me back from getting jobs and holding me back from opportunities that I should be able to capitalize on and be fixing this. Again, though, where's this should coming from? You got to be very careful not to stray into beating yourself up. If that's a goal, it's a goal. And that's my goal, to get that confidence back. So I hope all those of you who are on the journey with me are seeing points of light. And if any of this is resonating with you, feel free to email in hollow9podcast at gmail.com. It's the word hollow, the number nine, I-N-E, podcast, all as one word, at gmail.com. Attention, feeling it, healing it. Diary of Recovery, any one of those will work. If it's something you want me to share on the air, please indicate that. Or if it's something you just want to send just between us, please feel free to do that. Uh, 
You can follow at the underscore hollow nine underscore network on Instagram. I'm sharing an awful lot in stories these days from other folks and professionals who have much more um, credentialed knowledge in the field of recovering in the aftermath of a narcissist recovering from CPTSD. Some of those are folks you might want to reach out to and see if their services can be of helpful help to you. If you or someone you know is too far into the darkness and needs more than just listening to a podcast of a guy rambling about what his last couple of years has been like, please seek out those resources where you are. The uh, number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is in the show notes always. And I think, you know, there are times where if you have to use that, you have to use that because you can't afford therapy, right? I mean, they have to listen to you. That's what they're there for. Talk to somebody. If you're planning on or you're feeling being pulled too far into the darkness, having one more conversation with someone can't hurt but could possibly save your life, right? Um, I guarantee you there are people who you don't even realize want you to stick around, Um, Because your life has another act left to go in it, at least one, if not two. There's no reason to let an intermission become permanent. That goes out to a buddy of mine named Michael. When I posted something on Facebook that was a little on the desolate side, there were a few people who reached out to me, and it was surprising to me who did. And he was one of them. And he was a friend of my father's, and he said, uh, you're going to bounce back, kid. This is just an intermission. You have a whole nother act left to go after this. So hold on to that. We'll be, we'll be here again <laughs> until the next chapter, until the next entry. Maybe keep a journal yourself. Writing these things down helps to excise it from within you. We'll get there. So until next time. You've been listening to a production of the Hollow Nine Network. Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery, featuring Dave Maresca. Thank you for listening to Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery. Dave Maresca is not a trained medical professional, psychologist, psychiatrist, or licensed professional trained in providing therapeutic mental health care. This podcast is an account of his life experiences and meant to be just that. Any advice or suggestions made in the extemporaneous dialogue of the podcast is not intended to be medical or legal advice. If such advice is what you're seeking, you are encouraged to seek out the services of a licensed professional. The Hollow Nine Network and Dave Maraska assume no liability or responsibility for the information provided in these episodes.